Good evening, everybody. Let's all stand, and we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I just pray to be the service that I might honor and glorify you. I just pray to be the prayer request to follow. I just pray every aspect of it might be a blessing to you. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's all take your hymnals and turn them to hymn number 175. Hymn number 175 is just like this. Just like Jesus, all along the way. 
take your hymnals. Turn back to hymn number 119. Hymn number 119. The storm passes by. good to be in the Lord's house uh, tonight and uh, to be together. Man, what uh, beautiful weather we've had the last couple of days. We have much to be thankful for, although it may be cold when you leave here tonight. I've got a few things I wanted to share with you. Uh, One of them is from the Sword of the Lord, and um, it says, Michigan sees, oh, by the way, we've got a birthday today. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Josh, 
Josh has had a birthday today, all right? Uh, anybody else have a birthday today? I know Mrs. Gilson did too, but she's not here. Yeah, Maddie had one yesterday. I love it when parents throw their kids under the bus. That's great. Could I get one of you back on the piano down here? Anyone else? Any anniversaries? Okay. Any birthdays we haven't celebrated yet? You've been dodging, you know. I've missed it. I really miss getting sang to. Yeah? Okay, well, there you go. You can stand up now. Let's stand, okay? Let's sing happy birthday. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. And now's not the time to be ashamed of them. Man, I'd be glad to be any of your ages. Okay, so that's awesome. All right, back to Michigan. Michigan sees more deaths than births. 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 You know, when a child is born, a birth. There we go. More people died than were born in Michigan in both 2020 and 2021. In part, in large part, it was because of the mass killing of unborn babies in abortions. Earlier this year, a report from the U.S. Congressional Budget Office predicted that deaths will exceed births all across America by 2040 as fertility rates decline and unborn babies continue to be killed in abortions. Then abortion is leading cause of death worldwide for the fourth year in a row. You know, why doesn't our news cover something worth hearing like this, you know? Statistics reveal that abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide for the fourth year in a row as the number of abortions nearly quadrupled the number of deaths from infectious disease in 2022. Worldometer, World a database that keeps track of statistics about health, uh, health, the global population, and other metrics in real time, continuously compiles information about the number of abortions worldwide. The last available snapshot from Worldometer from 2022 shows that more than 44 million abortions took place last year. 44 million. The WHO, uh, not the rock group, but the World Health Organization, they maintain that around 73 million induced abortions took place worldwide uh, last year. The second leading cause of death in 2022 was identified, this is so sad, as communicable diseases, causing nearly 13 million. That's quite a disparity. Quite a disparity. And I'm telling you, it is so sad, the day and age in which we live. And uh, we need to pray, and we need to witness uh, to people that they might hear the truth and that they might quit killing the unborn babies. All right. Have a dear Shawnee Mission uh, Baptist Temple. We thank God for you and are honored by your generosity toward our family and our new Spanish-speaking church in Hempstead, Texas. We pray abundant blessings be upon you, on you continually. Your gift of $100 was received. We gratefully appreciate it. Azel, Garcia, and family. And it's a good-looking family right here. This is the group that we're helping start a church down in Hempfield, Texas. Okay? And then uh, 
We've got a letter here from Mark and Hannah Martinez, and they are church planning in Boulder, Colorado. It says, Dear Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple, thank you so much for the generous love offering we received from your church after presenting at the Heartland Church Planting Conference. Your giving will allow Boulder Valley Baptist Church to purchase a 15-passenger van for the ministry. Our church currently has people who attend but do not have vehicles, and a van ministry will greatly help with transportation. On behalf of the entire congregation, thank you. We appreciate you partnering partnering with our family and Boulder Valley Baptist Church. God is growing his church, and each soul saved is a fruit to your account. May the Lord richly bless you in your service for him, for uh, souls in Boulder, Mark, Hannah, Jenna, Josiah, and Jesse Martinez. And then Liberty Baptist Church. Dear pastor and church family, I want to take a moment on behalf of my family and Liberty Baptist Church to thank you for the offering you gave at the HBBC uh, Church Planners Conference. It was such a blessing to be able to testify of God's leadership in the starting of this church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. The total offering that was promised would be enough to pay our rent and utilities for at least one year, as well as provide funds to set up costs involved in planning church for those that promise monthly support and even some increased monthly support you already gave already give thank you very much this is a great blessing in providing for our family i've started driving a school bus for the poplar bluff school district i'm doing this for a couple of reasons to help get into the community by being around kids families and other bus drivers and also i can provide dental vision and life insurance for my whole family for 80 dollars a month it has already helped in getting our church introduced to the community. Pastors, please relay our thanks to the church family for their sacrificial giving for the Mallard family. May the Lord continue to bless you and yours, Shane Mallard. And then uh, this um, family I'm going to read about, uh, their church planners, uh, their names are the Fitts, F-I-T-T-S. Uh, they're planting a church just outside of uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, they moved into this community about a year ago, and there was like 5,000 people there. It's like 25,000. It's just, if you've been to Dallas, that place is just blowing up everywhere, and uh, so uh, they're in on ground floor here. The name of their church is Arise Baptist Church. I pray this letter finds you well. My family and I will be attend, uh, have been attending the church planning conference at Heartland Baptist Bible Con- College since 2008, except for just a couple of years that ministry obligations prevented it. The preaching, the fellowship, and the atmosphere of gracious giving is contagious, and these meetings have greatly influenced my family's burden and ultimately our call, our call to church planting. This was my first year to attend the conference as a church planter, and I was honored by the opportunity to present the work that God has called us to do and humbled by the gracious giving of so many churches and faithful individuals in both one-time offerings as well as monthly commitments of financial support. I want to personally thank you for your generous gift to the work here in North Lake, Texas, and to my family. Your giving means so much more than just dollars and cents in a bank account to me, my family, and the folks that we minister to. It represents a partnership and investment into the work that God has, is, and will do here. We do not take your sacrifice lightly and continue to pray that God will give us wisdom and discernment as we venture forward. Humbly, Chad Fitz. And uh, he uses Acts 9, 6 
And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And so the Fitz family, good-looking family, we're supporting them. That's a blessing. I love giving. I'd much rather give than receive. It's a lot funner to give. And uh, so I'm glad that we can be involved in these and the others uh, that we have read. We, we read you each thank you that we get. And uh, so thankful for the opportunity to go and be involved uh, in helping these churches. So I have two prayer requests before we get started. You can turn to the book of Job if you want already. We're going to be in the book of Job. But tomorrow morning, Mrs. Benson's going to go in for surgery and uh, pray that she behaves herself. They don't kick her out, any of that kind of stuff. And uh, pray that her surgery goes well and all that's taken care of. And then um, Brother Wells, Brother Harold Wells was with us in, I think it was August or September last year, uh, preached for us on a Sunday morning, uh, had some kids and the wife played the piano and the, the kids sang. Uh, Brother Harold Wells um, has been, I was down there for a missions conference uh, last April and preached for him. We became quick friends and uh, his dad had cancer at the time and so I was able to relay what I'd lived through with my dad having cancer and so forth and so on. So he calls me uh, two days ago and he said, Brother Kevin, I, I've, I've got to tell you, I've got cancer and they're going to do surgery Saturday. So that's how serious it is. They don't just move you forward. A lot of doctors don't want to do surgery on Saturdays, but he's got surgery coming up this Saturday. And uh, if you would pray for Brother Harold and for his family, he's probably mid-40s guy. And uh, if you would pray for him and uh, pray for God's healing hand as uh, he goes through his surgery, that God would just be glorified through it. And um, I just, uh, you know, where else do we turn in our time of need but to God? And so uh, be praying for Mrs. Benson. And she goes in tomorrow, has her surgery, and then pray for Brother Harold Wells, if you would, as he has his surgery on Saturday. And then uh, we want to remember the Medlin family. Of course, their uh, viewing is at 12 o'clock on uh, Friday, and then at 1 o'clock we will have the service uh, there at Amos Funeral Home off Johnson Drive. And then uh, after that they do the internment, and then they didn't want um, a, a dinner or lunch or anything like that. And so uh, we'll just be involved in the services, uh, pray for Mrs. Madeline, pray for the kids, pray that uh, God would use this as an opportunity to see people saved. It was really cool. She was sharing with me from his Bible that uh, they got to looking through his Bible. And he had two songs written down uh, in his Bible. And so both of those are going to be sang at his funeral. And then he had written, um, I got saved on, and he wrote the date. It was like April 19th, 1972, or something like that. Uh, So she said, I knew he was saved, I just didn't ever know when he had gotten saved. And so, you know, things like that just bring a lot of peace to a family. uh, And and they may know and may forget when you were saved. So if you got it written in your Bible, they can just turn to it and go, oh yeah, you know, dad wrote it here in front of his Bible. And so... And so we know. And so 
Uh, if you would, just pray for that service, that it bring glory to God. And uh, looking forward uh, to being able to preach that and be a part and try to be a blessing uh, to Mrs. Medlin. Sure have loved and enjoyed them all these years. Brother Paul was kind of a quiet guy. He liked to have fun. He liked to laugh. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, uh, visiting with him. He was always willing to help uh, in, you know, whatever that I might, you know, need. I could ask him, and he's willing to just jump in and do. And so um, we've lost a, a, a good attender. They never did really join our church, but sometimes that's just paperwork, you know. Uh, but they've come forever, it seems like, we, when we were way back in the other buildings. So they've probably been coming 25 years, I bet, uh, to our church. And so uh, we love them, we care for them, and uh, we pray that his service will be a blessing and be used of the Lord greatly. And then, don't forget, we've got a couple coming. You know, like we don't have anything else going on. We've got a couple coming. And uh, they'll be here Saturday. Uh, Six o'clock is a dessert time for the whole church. Uh, Deacons, trustees, you've got a meeting with uh, he and his wife at 4.30. And so you want to make sure you're there for that. And then the whole church has a dessert reception at 6. And uh, then Sunday... Uh, he'll teach the teens preach in the afternoon service, so uh, be praying for him and his wife. All right, Job chapter 8. Job chapter 8. Now, so when you look at the, the book of Job, it's kind of an intimidating book because it's like 42 chapters. I'm just guessing off the top of my head, like 42 chapters, and we're like, oh, this is going to take a long time to go through. But just about everybody that lays an outline to it lays it in about seven sections, okay, anywhere from six to eight sections. So we're in our third section of the book. Uh, we will cover chapters 8 through 14. So how do we do that? Well, we can't, we can't read all the verses, or we can't do that, okay? Uh, this is like going to Bible college. This is the way some of your Bible college classes just had to be taught. So I'm going to give you uh, information. If you can write it down, take it home, digest it, go through it, read, study uh, extra. It'll be a real blessing to you. I am hitting the highlights. And so even if you just get the highlights, you'll have an understanding of how the book works and what the Lord's trying to accomplish there. And so uh, hopefully all this would be a blessing to you. Job chapter 8, verse number 1. Then answered Bildad the Shudite, and said, How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he hath cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosper. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. For I inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to search of their fathers. Kind of amazing to me. You know, uh, Job was one who made intercession for his children on a regular basis. He interceded on their behalf. And so as Bildad comes and makes these accusations, uh, we know that Job was the kind of man that, that these things are not 
God's punishment because he didn't intercede on behalf of his kids, because he didn't want them raised correctly. Uh, we just see that sometimes God does things for his glory that we don't understand, and we just need to learn to be accepting of them. So Bildad uh, rebukes Job and asserts that sin brings punishment and that Job longs for a mediator to approach God with his complaints. Zephora uh, rebukes Job and reminds him that God is beyond understanding. He urges Job to confess his sins, but Job reasserts his innocence, and Job wants to argue his case with God himself. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for our time together tonight. It's our prayer and our desire that you would meet with us, that you might be honored and glorifying through the preaching, teaching of your word here this evening. Uh, we lift up our hearts in prayer uh, for uh, Mrs. Benson tomorrow. She goes in for surgery. You guide the doctors, give them wisdom. Everything that's done there will bring honor and glory to you. Pray for Brother Wells and his surgery on Saturday. I pray that they'd be able to get all the cancer, uh, that it not have to be too radical of a surgery, and that they might be able to get it all, and then he could go through his treatments. And Lord, I think of uh, the Summers uh, still battling pneumonia. We'd ask that you would intercede on their behalf, the Savages battling cancer. And Lord, our list can go on and on and on of all the people in need. And we know that they're in need not because of the sin in their life, but because those things happen to good people that we might be testimonies and witnesses to those around us. So, Lord, meet with us here tonight. Give us understanding, wisdom. Might you be honored and glorified. We love you, and we ask these things in your precious and most holy name. Amen. All right, we're going to travel fast. Our first point is this, Bildad's denunciations. And this is chapter 8, 1 through 22, basically the whole chapter. Bildad tells uh, Job that he's being senseless. If he confesses his sins, he will be restored. And so verses 1 through 7, we read uh, and study there. And, and basically the thought is, your words are a blustering wind. Speaking of blustering wind, didn't we have one uh, today? I mean, and yesterday, the wind just blew and blew and blew. So... Uh, he says, your words are just a blustering wind. Uh, the second thing we find is in verses 8 through 19, uh, there's basically the statement made with those verses is the godless will die. Uh, Bildad tells Job to ask the former generation and learn that those without God wither and die like a plant without water. And then we see that God rewards the righteous in verses 20 through 22 Bildad re, uh, advises Job to repent and be restored. And so, uh, your words are blustering wind, 1 through 7. The godless will die, 8 through 19. And God rewards the righteous, uh, chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. So, it brings us to our second point, which is Job's defense. Job's defense. And it deals with chapter 9 and chapter 10. Job defends himself against Bildab. And uh, again, it's two chapters long. Please feel free to read that when you can. Our first point under this is how can a mortal argue with God? The first 14 verses of chapter 9, Job is frustrated because he feels he is innocent. He cannot challenge such a mighty God. Uh, you know, he, he's feeling frustrated. He would like to, you know, have God do some interaction uh, with him. And I don't know if you've ever been there. There's been times I've asked why, and I wish God would have told me why right then, but he didn't. 
And so I had to learn to just trust him, have faith in him. The second thing we see is that God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. And so the righteous and the unrighteous uh, all face persecution and problems. Uh, In verses 15 through 31, Job argues that it doesn't matter if he's innocent because God attacks him without reason. And so both the blameless and the wicked are both uh, receive judgment, the hand of God, or persecution, or times of trials and times of testing. Uh, The third thing we see uh, is in verses 32 through 35 of chapter 9. And uh, basically, Job longs for a mediator to bring him and God together to resolve the issue. He's wishing that there was a mediator, someone he could sit down with, and that he could talk out his issues and his problems. I couldn't help but, as I was going through this, think about the fact that, you know, here's an Old Testament individual, and he's longing for a mediator, and we in the New Testament, we have a mediator, right? Jesus Christ, who intercedes on behalf of our sin, and we can go to him, and he intercedes on our behalf before the Father. a matter of fact, it's not our righteousness that God sees, it's his righteousness, And so it's kind of like Job is that front runner, that forerunner here. And he's pointing out the need that every man will have in his life, and that is that he needs a mediator. And those who never accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior do not have the mediator when it comes to their sin. And therefore, they have to stand in judgment, the great white throne judgment, and suffer the persecution that will come with the judgment at that time. The fourth thing we see is, why are you treating me so terribly? This chapter 10, 1 through 7, and Job begins to formulate his complaint to God. He begins to uh, list it out. <clears throat> Why are you treating me this way? Uh, you know, I, I wish so many times that he could have seen uh, back in chapter 1, Satan coming in and asking to touch him, and God saying, listen, I can trust my servant Job. Uh, but here he is, he's questioning, why, why are these things happening to me? And he begins to formulate a complaint to God. And like I said, I really don't think it's wrong on our behalf if we ask why, just as long as we don't go to seed on why, and it hinders us from our walk with God. Because we've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to trust that what he does in our life, he does because he is almighty God, and he wants to mold us for his uh, image that we might testify of his greatness to the world around us. Uh, so the fifth thing we see is, did you create me to condemn uh, to condemn me? Uh, verses 8 through 17 in chapter 10, Job asked if God's plan was to destroy him. Even as his body was being formed in his mother's womb, God was there. God saw it. God didn't create him to destroy him. God doesn't create mankind to destroy them. He uh, makes a way of escape through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The, the uh, sixth thing we see is better to never to have been born. This is a statement that Job makes, verses 18 through 22. Uh, if Job was created only to be condemned, uh, it would be better to have died at birth. And yet we know that Job wasn't created to be condemned. Job was, Job, uh, Job was created to be in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so even when we face difficult times, we need to remember Job and uh, the accusations that he was making. And we may feel like that, but we can see the whole picture. Job couldn't see the whole picture. 
And as we see the whole picture, we know that God has a plan for each one of our lives. He's the giver and the taker of life, and we need to trust him that his will be done, whatever that is. That brings us to our third point, which is Zephora. Uh, we talked about the, him the last time. Zephora's denunciations, chapter 11. Uh, he begins his rebuke. He's sat there. He's heard Bildad. He's heard Job talk with Bildad. Uh, he had heard Job respond to his uh, accusations that he made, that Zephora made in the beginning. So now we come to chapter 11, and Zephora decides he's got a few more things that he wants to say. And so the first thing is uh, seen in chapter 11, 1 through 6, and that is that God is punishing you less than you deserve. Um, I think we could all say that. We who know Christ our Lord and Savior, we know where we were, and we know where we could have been. Praise God for his salvation. Praise God that I don't get what I deserve. Man, I'd hate to get what I deserve. And, uh, you know, Zephora is saying, God's punishing you less than you deserve. And any time, if God, if God would come into our life to punish us, it would be less. i reminded so many times of reading through the Old Testament, like the time uh, where the serpents came out and began to bite everyone. And you see that uh, David breaks down, or Moses breaks down before God and turns to God and intercedes for the people. And God's heart is tender and it's moved. And he says, make a serpent of brass and those who will look at the serpent shall live. And so they made this serpent of brass and those that would turn and look to the serpent, uh, their sins were forgiven and, of course, it's a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. But uh, God is not here just to punish us. And God's heart can be moved. Think of Hezekiah. He found out he was going to die. And he turned his face towards God. And God gave him uh, extra time here upon this earth. And so God's not here to punish us. And when he does, if he allows things like that, it's far less than what we actually deserve. The second thing we see in this portion, uh, third, our third point, is you cannot condemn God's ways. Verses 7 through 12, chapter 11. God's ways are beyond human understanding. I don't know how many times I've been reading through the Bible and I think, man, I just don't get why God does that. I've had people come to me and say, okay, preacher, uh, this, this, and this. Uh, why would God allow this? Why would God do this this way? And all I can say is that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are so much higher. He is, he is not a flesh, uh, flesh and blood like us. He's not totally limited as we are. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our thoughts. And we can trust him what he's doing in our life. And the third thing we see under our third point here is that uh, we need to confess our sins and find hope. Verses 13 through 20, Zephora, like the other friends, assumes that Job is suffering because of his sin. And so he lays heavy upon him, confess your sin, confess your sin, that you can find hope. And the whole time uh, we know as we look at the study that Job was right with God, that these things were just coming to develop his faith in the Lord. So that leads us to the fourth thing tonight and the final thing. It's chapters 12. Uh, 13 and 14, and it's Job's defense. So now Job must defend himself before Zephora. And uh, he's going to give uh, his uh, dissertation, if you would, 
before uh, Zephora, and I have uh, A through K here, so several of them, uh, and I'll give you verses to go along with it. Um, in verses, uh, chapter 12, 1 through 2, uh, Job sarcastically says that Zephora knows everything. And so uh, what I have written here is he's a know-it-all. Zephora is a know-it-all. He knows it all, and uh, he doesn't, but he doesn't know God's mind. He doesn't know God's heart, but he thinks he does. And um, then in uh, second thing is uh, verses 3 through 12, even the animals know. Job asserts that even the animals know that God sometimes allows the evil to scoff at the good. And uh, so he points that out, verses 3 through 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12. And verses 13 through 25, we see that God is omniscient and that he knows all and he's all-powerful. He controls everything that happens. Nothing takes him by surprise and uh, that Job recognizes he needs to just trust God. And then uh, chapter 13, 1 through 6, we see that Job challenges Zephora to hear his defense. And uh, he's trying to get across to him, listen to what I'm trying to say. Rather than sit there uh, in accusatory stance, why don't you just listen to what I'm trying to tell you about my life and my relationship to God. And then uh, the next thing we see is in verses 7 through 12 of chapter 13, and it's don't put words in God's mouth. So Job accuses Zephora of using lies to defend God's actions. And um, I always think it's funny when a man will try to accuse and find fault and then try to find God to use him as a backup. And so Job accuses Zephora of using lies to defend God's actions or what is being brought against him. The next point will be chapter 13, 13 through 19. And uh, Job is willing to risk death to speak his mind to God and to prove his innocence. And so he's willing to uh, risk death to declare his innocence uh, before God. And then uh, the next thing, chapter 13, 20 through 25, uh, we see uh, two things that... Uh, I beg of you, and Job asked God to stop afflicting him and to cease from terrifying him with his awesome presence. You know how awesome our God is? He is so awesome. He's so much bigger than we are. And he controls everything in his hands. And Job comes to the point that he, he said, man, I'm tired of being afflicted, and then I'm just terrified of what he could do because he is such an awesome presence. That brings us to chapter 13, 26 through 28, and uh, God's bitter accusations. Job feels that God has been storing up accusations against him. And of course, we've talked about that. Uh, chapter 14, 1 through 6, life is short and full of trouble. Uh, that's, that's true. Life flies. It goes quick, and there's trouble in it. Job asks for a little mercy from God since humans are so frail. And I think it's important that he knew where to turn to God uh, to get his help and his encouragement. So we too need to turn to God in our time of trial and problems. Uh, then chapter 14, 7 through 12, that was chapter 14, 1 through 6. Life is short and full of trouble. Uh, chapter 14, 7 through 12, death is eternal. 
Job declares that people, unlike trees that sprout again after they're cut down, never rise again after death. We get one shot, one shot. We're going to live this life once. I'm not going to come back and live it. Praise God for that. But as I have this one chance to live, I need to accept Christ as my Savior. Because once I pass to the other side, I'll not get that opportunity again. And then finally, uh, chapter 14, 13 through 22, to live again after death. Job wishes that God would think of him after he dies and would give him hope, but he does not seem to believe that God will do so. And it's kind of, a, to me, just a great reminder as I read through these to be reminded of the fact that praise God for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross that we might have a home in heaven, that our life as we know it here, when it is over, our life there's just beginning. Real living begins uh, upon death here uh, in this life. And so uh, that's Job in a nutshell. I hope it wasn't too big a hurry. Uh, if you would like to have my notes, I'll be glad to share them. I know uh, it could be a little bit of overload, uh, but hopefully it's still a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time together tonight. We pray to God that uh, you would help us in our study of the book of Job. Uh, Lord, that we might learn more about you and how you interacted with your servant who you love so much. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd be honored and glorified in the way we live before you. Might we bring honor and glory unto you. We love you and we ask these things in your blessed name. Amen. All right, Brother James is going to come uh, with our prayer request at this time.